We are still go with Apollo 11. You're listening to Apollo 11 Legacies. The following podcast captures an Apollo 11 legacy panel discussion recorded in Huntsville, Alabama, as part of the Apollo 11 50th anniversary celebration. The Eagle has landed. The panels feature people with a personal connection to the Apollo project. Apollo 11 Legacies is produced through a partnership with Intuitive Technology and Research Corporation and WHNT News 19. Three, two, one. My nickname, which I later changed, of course, this name appeared first on my rail ticket. When I pointed out that this was an error, they told me, oh lady, that doesn't matter. When you are in America, you can call yourself whatever you want. Important is only that your husband loves you. That's Jürgen Halkel reading a letter written by his mother to her relatives back in Germany. It was about the experience of the family immigrating from Germany to the U.S. to join Jürgen's father. He was one of the original paperclip scientists, one of the so-called German rocket specialists. The men came to the U.S. at the end of World War II and began living at Fort Bliss in Texas and working at the nearby White Sands Proving Ground in New Mexico. The letter was part of Jürgen's presentation during a panel discussion recorded at the Huntsville Public Library. The name of the panel, The Paperclip Family Experiences. Here's more from Jürgen Halkel. I'd like to point out that uh, Gertrude Nine was so kind as to translate it for me. It was very nice of you to do that because, frankly, my German is lousy. You know, I can hear it, I understand it, but to generate it and think it is a little bit complex for me because at home we spoke English. My parents very much wanted to learn English and they did a good job. So this is a letter from my mother uh, that's really taking place uh, from New York to go to El Paso. And this is a letter to her parents and I'll read it, and every now and then I'll make a comment. Dear parents, on the 17th of the evening, we arrived in New York and dropped anchor. The next morning, we entered the harbor. We were disappointed because we did not see skyscrapers or the Statue of Liberty. The ship was small, and there was dense fog over the area. Now, they came over, we came over on the George W. Grothals. That's about a... Uh, 10, let's see, 10.5 ton uh, uh, ship as a troop transporter is all it was. The mood was generally very good, and sometimes during the day, an officer arrived with greetings from our husbands and fathers. On the 13th, they had learned, that is, the fathers had learned that we were at sea, and the officer was in charge to guide us to our destination. He had the same assignment for the first group of families, so this was the second group. Those families, the first, really liked their surroundings and had already settled in. And most of our husbands already signed the contracts. They were contract employees. They were not civil servants, which are supposed to be very good. That is all the officer cared to tell us. I had much better knowledge of the English language than the others because she studied languages at the university. I was surprised myself how well I could translate 
So usually I had dinner with the officer. To have conversations are very interesting, and he taught me much. You can believe that. And mostly, I advanced my knowledge of English. You won't believe how helpless you stand there when you cannot understand a word. On the 19th of December, we boarded the train to the Golden West. It took three days and three nights to get to our destination. Luckily, we don't have to change trains, so we made ourselves comfortable. The Pullman rail cars are very nice. Everything is new to us, but we adjust amazingly easy to our surroundings. You might be interested to learn how these well-known trains are decorated. First, they have luxurious carpets, which we haven't seen since the bombings. Everywhere, light fixtures in unexpected places. At night, the upholstered benches are converted into large, comfortable beds. On top of that is another bed that is folded back during the day. There are no small compartments like we know them from German sleepers. The rail cars are large. For privacy, there are curtains so you can change clothes. Beneath the bed is room for the children to sleep so they will be close to their mother. The, bed, the beds are fairly high and, and to get up there, you have to call the porter who brings a ladder. I personally don't like this, so I climb up there myself. In the morning, I climb down like an ape out of his nest. <laughs> Women and men have each a common washroom where you find many mirrors and even vanities. Men and women sleep in the same rail car divided only by the curtains, which in this case was the cactus bench and the ironing board. Through a strange coincidence in alphabetical order, my name was changed to Zaukol instead of Haukol. Now, that's not necessarily complimentary because the word Zau means swine or pig. My nickname, which I later changed, of course, this name appeared first on my rail ticket. When I pointed out that this was an error, they told me, old lady, that doesn't matter. When you are in America, you can call yourself whatever you want. Important is only that your husband loves you. <laughs> As the saying goes, take it easy. So I let it go. However, this incident caused me to get into a very exclusive company. So it came to her benefit. I mean, very high class acting people with already older children. And now we are in smaller rail car, which housed only five families. I like to point out that there were only two such cars and they were occupied only by Germans. All other German families were living crowded in one large car. We had five families, had plenty of room, and I have a neighbor, the officer. The flax is blooming. I don't know what that means, but that's here. I will make a good impression on my husband with my improved English because he expects perfect English. I'm not sure he knew it at that time either. The real car next to ours is a common room with reading and smoking room, easy chairs, smoking tables, couches, carpets, and beautiful light fixtures. Our favorite activity right now is eating, which is fairly expensive because we have to pay for our own meals. Now everything else is free and to eat in the dining car is always expensive, but we eat our regular meals. I have lost a lot of weight, not so much from seasickness, but sleeplessness. 
the children love to eat and I have enough dollars. That is another advantage of my knowledge of English. I can read the menu and order the most cost-effective offerings. The others are helpless and order the expensive dinners. Ingeline, that was a nickname for my sister, and Jurgen always has to be with his, well, I had to be with my mother, and my sister was surprisingly confident for her age. Uh, as always, my mother said, yesterday, an officer sent a telegram to El Paso, so we can expect to be met by our husbands. That's hard to imagine, the excitement is high. All mothers already have packed their best clothes. The bathrooms are hanging full of clothes to straighten out. Of course, I have to participate in this sport, especially since this is my idea. My brown dress hangs there with all other colors like a symphony. Engelein and Jürgen are looking so forward to this arrival, but they already asked where Germany is now with Omi and Opa, my grandparents. I would like to tell you more news in this letter. Don't know anything yet. The only thing the officer told me is that we would live together with our husbands and they would travel by bus every day to work and back. That is very tiring for them since it takes two hours every day. That is very, t uh, but I'm glad that he will keep me company. Well, tomorrow we will know more. It is strange to think about that we will see our uh, husbands again after almost 14 months of separation. This morning we arrived in Texas and since then the sun is shining brightly. It's been shining for five months. No rain. Not like here. <laughs> During the day the temperatures are still 35 degrees. Now it's got to be it's got to be Fahrenheit. I can see that we have the new clothes Besides, I already noticed that the fashion journals look weird, but the clothes themselves worn look pretty good. Old and young women seem very well groomed, but the men look very casual. We look really German here. Of course, we were all very tired and worn from the long and difficult journey. Besides, the salt water did not help our complexions, especially mine. My skin never looked worse. And just at this time, but take it easy, seems to be the theme of American life. We'll have to uh, embrace that also. This is often not my nature, but it seems to work better. I'm looking out the vit window again, and the impression I have of Texas and the other southern states is very good. I find them cleaner and well taken care of compared to the large cities up north. But it may be too early to make a judgment like this. I will tell you what we find very strange here. There's no real railroad station to be found. The tracks go over roads and streets. The whole traffic, and it's pretty busy, has to stop. After the train is gone, the long line of cars on both sides will move again. Railroad depots, like we know them, do not exist. The train just stops in the middle of town. This is very laid back in a land as progressive as this. Also, we're treated very friendly everywhere, especially the children are very well liked. We are known as Germans by the many children we have. I get the impression they like our migration to their land. The officer agreed with me. Recently, they lifted the ban on American-German marriages. I didn't know there was a ban, but the war brides from other lands are not a gain for the U.S. The American soldiers should be more selective in choosing German women. <laughs> Otherwise, as we Germans, 
will not be looked upon very favorably. That's near the end of it. Other than that, she uh, stated that she had written other letters earlier from Bremerhaven, and um, then she just wants to know what is happening in Germany. So I will end it at that. But this was a wonderful find because I got, I got those words from my mom. That's great. You've been listening to Jürgen Haukel, the son of a German rocket scientist. Jürgen was part of a panel discussion, the paperclip Family Experiences. We'll return to Jürgen in a moment. Let's get back to Jürgen Haukel now and memories of the families of the German rocket specialists coming to America and then to Huntsville. Coming to Alabama, when word came the rocket team was being transferred to Alabama to Redstone Arsenal near Huntsville, my parents discussed the move and questioned our future. We'd been living in Fort Bliss as a family over three years and the growth of the team required more space. The facilities in Fort Bliss were inadequate. We were told Senator John Spartman of Alabama was instrumental in coordinating the marriage of the team with Redstone Arsenal. It was a perfect marriage of knowledge, experience, facilities, and need. Those who were introduced to Huntsville reported the mountains and trees reminded them of Germany, much more than the bleak desert of Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas. Now, I love my time in Texas. There were no air attacks. I would miss going to the swimming pool in summertime. On the other hand, it was hot in summer, and I hated getting caught in a sandstorm away from a shelter. We loaded up our 1947 Pontiac, the first model with the Indian chief profile with headdress as a hood ornament. We I wish I had that thing. We, we started early the next morning. As we rolled through West Texas, it was a farewell to rolling hills covered in scrub brush. I recall the jackrabbits bounding effortlessly through the desert and tumbleweeds rolling propelled by the wind. There was that shadowgraph effect of heat waves rising from the highway. Texas was hot during the summer of 1950. That evening, we came to a motor court surrounded with green trees laden with Spanish moss. And I'd like to make a point here because those that had been here earlier talked about the vacation time that other families took and they stopped and saw anything. My father was very goal-oriented. <laughs> He wanted to go from point A to point B, and nothing was going to stop him. And I mean, when we traveled, we started early in the morning, and it was late at night when we stopped. There was a vacancy there at the motel, and my dad registered us for the evening. The evening was humid, and everyone ex was exhausted from the constant air buffeting from lowered car windows to escape the summer heat. No air conditioning. The next day, our destination goal was Huntsville. Alabama, a shorter distance driving than the first day's journey. We arrived in Huntsville late the next day. My family rented an apartment on the corner of Franklin Street and Longwood Drive called College Hill Apartments. It was a two-bedroom apartment. Uh, there were four units in each building. Uh, we were downstairs. It, the, uh, it had two bedrooms, one bath, living room, dining room combination, and a small kitchen. My sister and I shared the smaller bedroom, large enough to hold two army cots, 
with a wooden box serving as a bedside table between the cots. This was our new home. My sister and I were assigned to Fifth Avenue School. The location is now south of Governor's Drive in the medical district. We started classes after Labor Day. My sister in the fifth grade and I in the fourth grade. We were now settled in Huntsville, Alabama. Now Huntsville was a town with a census population at that time of 16,437. It was a cotton town with the Redstone Arsenal located nearby. The governor of Alabama was Big Jim Folsom. He was said to believe the young ladies in Alabama should remain barefooted and pregnant. In those years, I wasn't sure what pregnant meant. We weren't in the College Hill apartment six months before my parents purchased a two-bedroom house on Locust Street. A number of German families purchased houses on Locust, Hermitage, and McClung Streets. Others bought houses on Panorama Drive, on Montesano. Purchases were made throughout Huntsville, wherever housing was available, and not much was. It was an economic step up. Houses were simple in our neighborhood, no garage. My dad teamed with a neighbor, that's Dr. Henning. They helped each other when needed and both completed their project. They both bought this a, a garage kit. <laughs> they had all the materials, they just needed help. A contractor, a local contractor was used to pour concrete. That garage still stands today at 1205 Locust Street. Actually, they expanded it to a two-car garage now, but part of it's still there. They did their own landscaping, built patios, porches, whatever was needed. During the work week, they designed and built rockets. On weekends, they were busy with home projects. Downtown Huntsville on the weekends was always busy. Farmers came in to sell their market goods out of the trunk of their car or truck bed. There was usually a preacher on the courthouse steps preaching on the evils of drink and breaking God's commandments. There were two movie theaters, the Lyric and the Grand. Saturday movies were 10 cents. I would earn 25 cents a week, enough for a five cent bus ride at town, 10 cent movie cost, five cents for a candy bar, and the last nickel for the bus ride home, but I was cheap. I walked to town and back two miles each trek to save a dime in case I wanted more candy or a Coke. <laughs> Across the street on the east side of the courthouse was a drugstore with a huge rack of comic books. The owners were generous in letting you read the comics while sitting at the table while you enjoyed a soda. Life was good. <laughs> in those days, there were only two high schools to serve the population, Huntsville High School and Butler High School. By the time I finished high school in 1959 in Huntsville, Lee High School had been constructed. Huntsville now had three high schools and was on the move. Progress on the arsenal accelerated at a rapid pace. More and more workers arrived as a result of Operation Paperclip. And I recall at the beginning, my dad was in a carpool of five coworkers. That worked for years until salaries and automatic transmissions, which were loved by the ladies, made ownership of a second family car feasible. In 1952, my dad purchased a 1950 Buick Special equipped with a Dynaflow automatic transmission. That became the opening for my mother to learn how to drive. Me too, later on, by the way. I recall her asking my dad, how many times did you have to turn the steering wheel to make a right turn or a left turn? 
he took her to Maple Hill Cemetery for her first lesson. I assumed it was because of lack of traffic and not for burial convenience in case you're wrecked. <laughs> I have been amazed at the kindness shown to the German rocket team in Huntsville by the local citizenry. The Jewish community could have exhibited hatred or distrust because of the Holocaust. That never happened locally, which speaks highly of Huntsville. And I had Jewish friends in school. Leaving Germany meant not experiencing the joy of grandparents left behind or knowing your cousins. The entire German rocket team and their immediate family sacrificed meaningful bonding and time with family and friends left behind. But moving to Huntsville and experiencing its historical growth and significance to American rocketry makes me proud to be a member of this community. You're listening to Jorgen Haukel and his memories as part of the Paperclip Family Experiences, the panel discussion recorded at the Huntsville Public Library. We return now to the memories of Jorgen Haukel, the son of one of the German rocket scientists who came to America after World War II and then with their families moved to Huntsville in 1950. And I'd like to make one other comment because I didn't say anything about the spiritual efforts. A lot of the Germans were either Catholic or they were Protestant, mostly um, Lutheran. There was a gentleman, Pastor George Hart, who started a Lutheran church here and uh, St. Mark's Lutheran Church, he went from house to house of the German people. And he basically built a congregation from that. I mean, that was really unbelievable. And he served that church for years. Uh, you may know where, where it is now. It's a corner of Longwood and Franklin. And Franklin. Uh, except it was exactly on a caddy corner. It, I, I think it used to be a, a, a mortuary <coughs> there. And later, right now, I mean, I got my hair cut there for years, and that was uh, in, in a house that he lived in. But that was actually a wonderful thing, and that was a birth of a church here in Huntsville because of the German community. The other thing, I think you wanted a bio or something about me. Uh, I haven't said anything about anyone. I was born in Pinamunda, and in 1950 we moved to uh, uh, Huntsville. Of course, 46, 46 came here to uh, uh, America. Uh, I am an Auburn graduate in the field of engineering, mechanical, and uh, have a bachelor's there, and I have a master's degree from the University of Alabama in mechanical engineering as well. Um, I uh, had a wonderful career, a 50-year career in the field of engineering. And it was in aerospace, it was in the utility business, it was in construction, it was in marketing, and it was in design. I mean, I covered it all. I was a I had uh, I was a professional registered engineer for many many years, uh, seven for seven states. I um, 
served at the Alabama Board of Professional Engineering Nomination Committee for 25 years. And that's important because of uh, pick, picking the right people and uh, making things safe for the public. I was very active in ASME, that's American Society of Mechanical Engineers. I'm a lifetime member and a fellow. And uh, gosh, I've got, I'm married, I've got two kids, and I got three grandchildren, and I love it here in Huntsville. Thank you so much. This is a little uh, story that I wrote in uh, summers in Fort Bliss. And um, it's pretty short. Okay. Fort Bliss, Texas was equipped with a sizable swimming pool. The German families being housed in the fort we're welcome to enjoy the facility. My mother did not frequent the pool very often, so I often went with my sister. After arriving there, we would go our own way to enjoy our stay. The lifeguards were soldiers assigned for the duty. I was five years old during my first summer in Fort Bliss, and I found the high diving board to be utterly fascinating. Some of the soldiers would dive and turn flips off that board and enter the water with small splashes. It was like a magnet drawing me to that ladder. I carefully clasped the ladder, climbed upward until I reached the top. Then I walked to the end of the diving board and looked down, and I froze. <laughs> how, could the, how could the water be so far away when looking upward, the diving board didn't seem so high? I returned to the ladder when I heard the lifeguards whistle. I knew from my experiences in Germany, you did not want to be the reason for a whistleblowing from an authority figure. The lifeguard motioned for me to go to the end of the diving board. It was a one-way trip. Going down the ladder was not an option. I went to the end of the board, looked down, and decided it was my time to die. And I jumped. In the meantime, my mother was at the pool occupied chatting with a neighbor when the lady asked, is that Jorgen on the diving board? It shocked my mother to see me on the high board because she knew I couldn't swim. <laughs> my mother was the only child of a school teacher at a boys' school. She was allowed to attend school there and was very comfortable around boys. She told me once before I arrived, she wanted five sons. I was the first and last. <laughs> now the water surface was speeding toward me, and then just at the instance when I hit the water, I knew that was the end, but it wasn't my time to die. And reality hit. First, I didn't know how to swim. Second, I had just seen swimming done by others. Third, I had no concept of the word consequences. <laughs> Plunging into the water pushed thousands of bubbles under me. They lifted me up to the surface where I could take a full breath of air. My instinct was a dog paddle, but that is when the lifeguards knew I didn't know how to swim. <laughs> I managed to keep my head above the water, and the lifeguard encouraged me to dog paddle until I reached the pool edge. I had drawn some attention by 
since then, by then, the other lifeguards are watching the show. They took it upon themselves to teach me how to swim. Every day I hung on to the edge of the pool and learned the leg kick. Later I learned the arm strokes. By the end of summer, I could swim proficiently and never became the cause for any lifeguard to blow his whistle again. I didn't know then that someday I would become a lifeguard myself and teach life-saving to swimmers. I frequented the pool as often as I could during the summer months. When I was eight, I often went alone. One day I spotted the most beautiful inner tube I had ever seen. It was constructed of red rubber on the inside half and black rubber on the outside. I had never seen red rubber and made sure I played with that tube during my entire pool stay. When it was time to leave, I returned the inner tube to the place where I found it. Then I thought, wait, no one had asked for it while I was using it. Also, no one had claimed it after I returned the tube to where I first saw it. It was logical to me that that inner tube was mine. <laughs> I then decided to become the proud owner of a two-tone inner tube. It was my newfound treasure. I slung the tube on my shoulder, hoping to walk home that I wouldn't get stopped. I glanced back many times. When I finally got home safely, I thought of the difficulties I had created. The inner tube will only do me some good when I'm at the pool. But then the real owner would recognize it because of the red rubber construction. In a flash, I had a solution fitting for an eight-year-old. My father had purchased some red paint to cover some wooden yard chairs he was building. He was very handy with building things, and I was certain he could spare some paint for me to paint that black portion of the inner tube. This being my first experience with paint, I was unaware of drips and spills. I had placed the inner tube on the stone patio my father had constructed. The patio was an oil base adding drying time to my dilemma. It wasn't long before I had spilled and dripped a lot of red paint onto the patio surface. It was like dominoes stacked face to face. The first fell into the second and so on. I had a complicated problem on my hands now. I stole the inner tube, took my father's paint, ruined his paintbrush, and now I spilled red paint on his patio. I had to think of another solution. If the entire patio was the same color, <laughs> Then it would look better <laughs> than the messy spills. And I surmised my father would not get angry. So I rationalized he would notice the red color, but he would like it because he bought it. <laughs> there was enough paint for a patio transformation. I worked that brush back and forth until the entire patio was covered. Surely this would make my father happy. Then I threw the brush away because I had no idea how to clean this brush. I would not know how my father would respond until he returned from his California business trip. Was my logic good? My mother wasn't good at watching or punishing me. She was home. It was always wait until your father returns. <laughs> I was forced to wait in purgatory until my day of judgment when my father returned. Then my conscience started to kick in. The more I thought about it, the more I realized I had made a multitude of mistakes. 
I was in a lot of trouble and waited three days on the inevitable serious punishment. The third day my father arrived, I learned it was a terrible business trip. He had a migraine headache. He felt terrible, was glad to be home, and he could have cared less about a red patio. He ignored the patio on my day of judgment and punishment was forgotten. Later I watched my dad repaint that patio with a dull gray paint. I never liked the patio after that. It was a wrong color and didn't match the lawn chairs. <laughs> You've been listening to Jürgen Haukel, the son of one of the German rocket scientists who came to the U.S. at the end of World War II and then in 1950 emigrated with their families to Huntsville. Jürgen, part of a panel discussion recorded at the Huntsville Public Library. We invite you to listen to our other podcast on North Alabama's space history as we continue to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon mission. Go to the Apollo 11 tab at the top of our website, whnt.com, where you'll also find other interesting items on North Alabama's contribution to America's manned spaceflight history. Apollo 11 Legacies is produced in partnership with Intuitive Research and Technology. Content made possible with the U.S. Space and Rocket Center's Legacy Panel Lecture Series. Music provided by Megatracks.